Well, good morning. If I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Travis Bowles, and I am a church planning resident here at Redeemer. So this morning, churches all across America are now transitioning from a time of Christmas and a season of Advent to, to really transitioning to the normal rhythms of the church. The world is transitioning to New Year's resolutions in order to better themselves, which is all not necessarily bad, right? Paul told the young Timothy that physical training is of some value, but we have to remember as believers, we have to remember the end of that thought that Paul was talking about. He talked about a different type of training. He says, but godliness is beneficial in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. One of the things that I, I love about Advent and about Christmas is how it really focuses the church in on the real story behind Christmas. That is Jesus' birth, his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the hope of his return. So in the new year, I want to encourage you to live in light of Jesus' incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the hope of his return. In other words, I want to encourage you to live in light of the gospel. And to do that this morning, I want to use the often overlooked story that's found in the letter of Philemon. Philemon is a letter that was written by Paul where he applies some gospel principles into a difficult situation. And so my aim this morning is simple. I want to immerse us in this letter, the overall story of the letter, so we can see some gospel principles lived out in this difficult situation and then apply those same gospel principles in our own lives and in our own relationships. Philemon, who the letter is named after, well, he was an influential Christian in the early church. He lived in Colossia. It's the same place Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to. And in fact, a lot of the people that are mentioned in the letter of Colossians are also mentioned here in the letter of Philemon. Now, Philemon, according to Paul's letter, he was a good Christian man. He was a good leader in his church. Paul describes Philemon as refreshing and as a life-giving brother. And I really, truly hope that God has graced you with some people in your life that are refreshing and life-giving because we truly need them in our lives and in our church. And Philemon was one of those refreshing and life-giving brothers. Paul says this to Philemon in the second half of verse 19, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. And this probably means that Paul had shared the gospel with Philemon. And Philemon came to faith. And I think Paul is using this language of Philemon owing Paul something because Paul is going to ask him to do something very difficult in this letter, but is insignificant compared to the worth and the value of Paul sharing the gospel with him. Now, we also know that Philemon was a wealthy man and that he used his resources to glorify God and refresh the saints. We know this because he had a house that was big enough to host an entire house church, and we see that in verse 2. He also had a spare uh, guest bedroom that Paul even asked to use in verse 22, and this was during a time period when houses were small, and there generally were only one room, and you did all your, your living, your cooking, and your cleaning all in that same room, and sometimes when the weather was bad enough, if you really valued your animals, you'd bring them into that same room. We also know that Philemon had at least one bondservant or one slave named Onesimus. Now, slavery in New Testament times was different in several ways in the way that we view the terrible history of slavery in America. 
Slavery in the first century around the Mediterranean, especially in the Roman Empire, was not necessarily racially based. Back then, people would sometimes even sell themselves as bond servants or slaves in order to pay down their debts or to provide for their families. In New Testament times, sometimes even doctors, lawyers, and teachers were all bond servants or slaves. And in many instances, there was an expectation that you would be freed from your obligation after a set period of time. And in the Roman Empire, it was generally around about seven years. But in this letter, we need to know and understand that Philemon had a bondservant or slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus, well, he had certain responsibilities in Philemon's household. So here's this Christian leader in the early church, a man that Paul led to faith. And Onesimus, his bondservant or slave, according to verse 18, runs away from Philemon's household. And when he ran away... He more than likely stole some of Philemon's money or caused him to lose out financially in some way. And this really severed their relationship. And this is a sticking point in the story that we can all relate to. See, we all either need forgiveness, need to forgive, or in the future, we'll need to do one or the other. So Onesimus ran away from Philemon, but he can't run away from the Lord's sovereignty or the Lord's good plan. Now, we're not quite sure how, but Onesimus somehow runs into Paul the Apostle, who at this point in his life, he's an old man and he's in what we think is a Roman prison. But as I said, it's not just by chance. It's not just a small world. It's not like bumping into someone at the grocery store. No, according to Paul in verse 15, Paul believes that they crossed paths due to God's sovereignty. And Paul happened to know Onesimus' master or owner, Philemon, very well. Paul then shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus comes to faith. But there's still this big problem kind of hanging over him. Onesimus is a runaway slave or a runaway bondservant. And even though he's a Christian now, still by law, he still has a a legal obligation to Philemon. Onesimus is likely also facing punishment for running away. And not only that, like we said, Onesimus probably stole some money from Philemon. And so they're relationship had been damaged and there was some trust that had been broken between these two men just like i'm sure there's a real need for forgiveness or reconciliation in your lives this letter has been a great comfort to me a great challenge to me as i've been studying it and working over it and so this morning i'd like for us all just to learn and see how paul applied the gospel in this difficult situation well when we meet uh when we meet in the story paul He's in prison. And for most people, something like trials and suffering in prison would pull them away from their God-given mission of reaching the lost and sharing the gospel with the lost. But not Paul. See, prison didn't stop Paul's fulfillment of that mission. Prison just changed Paul's mission field. And he shared the gospel with Onesimus, and he became a believer. Paul calls him in verse 10, his child. In verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment Paul calls Onesimus this slave this bondservant this marginalized person his child even in verse 12 he says I'm sending him back to you sending my very heart Paul loved Onesimus and it's very plain for everybody to see in this letter when you read through it and this love for Onesimus motivated him to write this letter in the first place to Philemon to appeal on his behalf. And the power of the gospel grew this new relationship up between these two men, between Paul and Onesimus. 
But more than that, the gospel also fundamentally changed Onesimus. In verse 11, we're told that Onesimus was formerly useless. And at first glance, right, this seems rather blunt for Paul to say. But if you think through it with me, he was useless to Philemon because he stole money from him and he ran away. Quite the opposite of what we would consider a useful or helpful servant. But once the gospel took root in his heart, once he was a born-again believer, Paul says in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. He who was once useless is now useful. And there's a play here on the Greek words because Onesimus' name in Greek means profitable or useful. And Onesimus in his former state as an unbeliever was useless, but once the gospel was shared with him, once the gospel took root in his heart, there was this gospel transformation that occurred in Onesimus. And now he could be useful to Philemon and in Paul's ministry. Paul even says in verse 13 that he would have been glad to keep Onesimus due to his usefulness. I bet this gospel transformation was really particularly meaningful to Paul. Especially when you think through it, Paul in his former state, Paul as an unbeliever, persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. He tried to stamp out the church violently. And so this man, once the gospel took root in his heart, once he was converted, this man who once tried to put believers in prison is now in prison for the sake of the gospel and sharing the gospel with people like Onesimus. This man who who once used to try to stamp out the church violently is now building up the church by going on missionary journeys, by planting churches, by writing letters to the churches to try to encourage them and build them up. Paul himself, like Onesimus, went from being useless, Paul was even hostile, to being useful himself. I think that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. As a believer, I believe we do not appreciate this gospel transformation enough in our own selves, in our own lives. If you're a born-again believer, you have been transformed by the gospel. The Bible says that we were once dead in our sins and our trespasses, but made alive through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says we were once hostile to God, enemies of God, but now through faith in Jesus, we're reconciled into a right relationship with the Lord. From death to life. From enemies to adoption as children of God. And Onesimus had experienced this gospel transformation in his own life. And this is one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter. But there's still that glaring problem that we talked about. Onesimus has a right relationship with the Lord now, but he still has a severed relationship with Philemon. Onesimus... Remember, he had run away. He possibly stole money from Philemon. And their relationship had been severed. And Paul writes to Philemon and makes an appeal on his behalf to forgive him. Paul says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, to our modern ears, that might not sound like an appeal for forgiveness, but it is. If you look in verse 19, Paul says it again, I will repay it. He will repay this debt. But Paul is not only seeking forgiveness. This is not just a flippant forgive and forget. No, Paul is seeking reconciliation. And reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship between two people. In verse 17, he says something radical. Receive him as you would receive me. Paul is asking Philemon 
to forgive and be reconciled to this runaway slave. This man who probably cost him money, who put him in a bad spot socially. Forgive him and be reconciled to him. Philemon, treat him as you would treat me. And here's the other radical thing. To Paul, not only has the gospel radically transformed Onesimus, but the gospel has radically transformed their relationships. See, verse 16, Paul says to Philemon that he should receive Onesimus no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. This appeal for forgiveness and reconciliation is radical when you really understand the historical and the social context that they were in. Because a runaway slave or bondservant back then, when they were caught, they could have been beaten, they could have been flogged, they could have been branded, they could have been made to work in worse conditions, they could have been even sold to someone else. And so Paul is encouraging forgiveness and reconciliation in a cultural setting that would have been against forgiveness in this situation. Historians believe that about one-third of the Roman, in the Roman Empire, about one-third of the population was made up of bondservants and slaves. So punishment was the norm to prevent insurrections. So Paul is truly seeking forgiveness in a situation in which the culture would have been against. And I'd argue that in our culture, seeking forgiveness and forgiving others is also not the norm. And so Paul mediating this forgiveness in this difficult and messy situation should encourage us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation in our own messy life circumstances, our own messy relationships. So to be clear, Paul is really navigating through some treacherous waters here, some treacherous political waters, maybe some, some cultural issues, societal issues. But here is the surprising thing. Philemon makes Paul's request for forgiveness and reconciliation easy. He makes it easy. Look at verse 21. Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul is confident that Philemon will grant his request and exceed his appeal for forgiveness and reconciliation. This means that Philemon had a Christian disposition. He had a consistency in his Christian life that when Paul wrote to him, he was confident that he would forgive. Philemon's Christian disposition, his understanding of the gospel was shaped by the, I mean, just by the gospel and the forgiveness that he has experienced. This means that Philemon was the kind of guy that you could go to and say, hey, I messed up, bud. And part of his personality would be a, 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 just lean towards, he was bent towards grace and forgiveness. I mean, look at how confident Paul is in verse 22. After asking him to forgive Onesimus, be reconciled to Onesimus in this really difficult situation, Paul asked to crash on his couch at his house. Paul asked to use his guest room. See, Philemon here is an example for us. We should all live out the Christian life in such a way that we have a disposition towards grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we've offended them, they should be confident that we will come to them and make things right. Or vice versa, if they've offended us, they should be confident that we will have a disposition towards forgiveness. And I believe that this disposition towards forgiveness is a true mark of Christian maturity. And just imagine doing life and doing church with a bunch of people that have a disposition towards grace and forgiveness. Also notice who all Paul includes in this letter. Look at the first couple of verses and the last couple of verses. Paul includes eight additional people in this very personal letter. 
You heard me right, eight additional people. In verse 2, he also includes all the people in his house church that's meeting in Philemon's house. Many times we see an argument or a fight as between two people as something that is private. Generally, we'll say something kind of in our, in our dialogue, right? We'll say, uh, I don't want to be involved in that. I need to stay away from that. But here's Paul, this third-party person who is seeking forgiveness and reconciliation in these two men's lives. Paul is assuming that these people that he's listed in this letter are going to encourage him, Philemon, to forgive Onesimus. There's a certain amount of accountability here built into it by listing these other people. And this only works because they all have real relationships and they all have real fellowship. They all have relational equity with one another. This is why belonging to a local church and joining a life group and having real relationships and real community is so crucial to the Christian life. And if you're not in a life group, if, you're, if you don't belong to a local church, I hope you feel a pull from this letter to join a group and to build real relationships and real community. And I would argue from this practical example in Philemon that there's real value in belonging to a local church. And in this case, that local church was one of the resources that Paul was using to grow Philemon and encourage him to forgive. Practically, when we realize that our brothers and sisters in Christ are at odds, this means that we should encourage them and direct them to work things out, to seek forgiveness. I've had a brother in Christ do this for me. He simply just came and said, I don't need to know the particulars. I don't want to get into any form of gossip. I just need you to know that, hey, you need to go and work this out with this other person, and you need to seek reconciliation. And I was thankful that that brother had enough courage to come to me and tell me those things, and that he loved me enough and loved that other person enough to encourage me to go and seek forgiveness. And it's in my experience, once you've walked through forgiveness and reconciliation with someone in a real healthy and Christ-centered way, that it actually deepens your relationship with that person. It's like two teenage boys that get in a fight. They don't normally walk away as moral enemies. They walk away as best friends. You see, our temptation generally is, is if we're wronged or offended, the temptation is to pick up our ball and go play somewhere else by ourselves, or maybe go play with a whole new group of friends that we find. But Philemon in the Bible encourages us to stay and work things out. So it's my prayer that we all have this disposition of forgiveness and reconciliation. And here I want to extend a little bit of grace. Our lives and relationships, they can be messy and difficult and complex. And reconciliation sometimes is not necessarily always straightforward. Sometimes it can be difficult because maybe there's concerns for safety. Maybe there's um, some past trauma that's happened in these relationships. And so I want to extend a little bit of grace here. Reconciliation might not be possible in every single circumstance, but forgiveness is in reach for us all. And see, this is where I think the rubber really meets the road in this letter. This is why I think this letter is so practical. I read one scholar who said that Philemon is the least theological letter that Paul has ever written. And I would just flat out disagree with him. Yeah, Romans is, is Paul's really his grand theological masterpiece as we've been learning in the Romans Bible study. But Philemon is Romans in the flesh. Philemon is Romans lived out in personal relationships. Philemon is the theology of forgiveness lived out for all of us to see. And Philemon is the gospel lived out in a practical way in the life of the church. And so we have to ask ourselves, why did Paul seek forgiveness in this difficult situation? Why did he seek reconciliation? And what gave Philemon a disposition and a bent towards grace and forgiveness? 
I believe it's because they had the gospel as their foundation to work from. They believed the gospel, and they viewed their lives through the lens of the gospel, and so they lived out the gospel in these little practical ways like forgiveness, which actually isn't so little after all. See, the gospel not only creates communities and families and relationships, but the gospel should inform us in how we relate to one another in those communities. And if we're doing relationships right and we're doing community right, then we should be displaying the gospel for others to see just by living out life. So let's unpack that main theme of this letter here at the end about forgiveness. First, the foundation for relational forgiveness for everyone here needs to begin with our personal need for forgiveness. And if you're joining us here for the first time, and you're considering Jesus, you're considering church, you're considering Christianity, friend, please hear this crucial part of forgiveness. See, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin rightly deserves eternal punishment. But if you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus, then you will be forgiven of your sins. You will no longer be alienated from a holy God, but you'll be reconciled into a right relationship with the Lord. See, Jesus has provided a means for us to be forgiven and for us to forgive others. This is the good news of the gospel, is that our sins have been forgiven and we have been restored into a right relationship with the Lord. So since we've been forgiven by God through Jesus, we can have relational forgiveness with one another. And because God has forgiven us, we can and we should forgive others. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, If one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, forgiveness then is like love. We love because God first loved us, and we should forgive others relationally because God has forgiven us through the work of Jesus on the cross. And when we encourage people to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, what we're really doing is we're pointing people back to the gospel. We're pointing them back to the work that Jesus has done on the cross. So practically then, think through this, our disposition towards forgiveness then is directly tied to our humility. Our, it's directly tied to our understanding of the gospel realities in our own lives and our realization that we also need forgiveness. But we should also forgive because Jesus has taught it and he's also modeled it for us perfectly in his life. If you think through the sermon series on Luke where uh, Kevin and Lawson are preaching through, the, the disciples, they, they said and did so many boneheaded things, right? But Jesus forgave them. G, uh, Peter uh, denied Jesus three times, yet Jesus forgave him. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples and us how to pray, what did he say? He said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Peter in Matthew 18 verses 21 and 22 asked Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You remember what Jesus said? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus perfectly modeled and taught forgiveness seamlessly throughout his life. Just think about his crucifixion. Jesus, who's perfect, holy and without fault, he's, he's wrongly arrested He's put on this sham trial. They bring false witnesses against him. They wrongly beat him. They wrongly torture him, and they put him to death on the cross as a criminal. And yet on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So why should we seek forgiveness? Why should we be a proponent for forgiveness in our churches and in our lives? 
like this letter of Philemon is pointing us to. It's because Jesus has provided a means for us to be forgiven. We have been forgiven, so we should forgive others. Then Jesus taught us to forgive, and he modeled it for us, so therefore we should go and forgive. And we should encourage others to seek forgiveness and be reconciled. And it's my prayer, my hope, that we all have a disposition towards forgiveness that's built on the foundation of the gospel. And that by forgiving one another, we might live out the gospel and display the gospel for others to see. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for, for providing a way for us to be forgiven. Lord, I pray that that truth really just sits on us. It sits in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, just please, just because of that forgiveness, Holy Spirit, just please give us a, a heart towards grace and forgiveness in our own lives. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.